Hi, my name is Dr. Kavan Sanger. I'm a practicing doctor of clinical psychology and I also have a PhD in neuroscience. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm an actor. That's it. We're also a couple. And during the pandemic, we've spent far too long in each other's company, having interdisciplinary discussions and watching films. And like many couples stuck in an echo chamber, we've developed illusions of grandeur that our opinions are one, valid, and two, interesting to other people. (laughs) So we've decided to make them public, looking at films and their main protagonists through the lens of a psychologist and an actor. What motivates and drives their actions? What's film intending speak louder than words? And what things just really don't make that much sense? In our opinion, anyway. We'll leave that for you to decide. Hello. Apparently Dave's not talking today. No, I I thought you were going to start and then I was going to join in. Oh, okay. Um, Hi guys, how's it going? I thought I'd, (laughs) I'd just start then. Since we started with that, <laughs> I'm just I'm just generally a bit sad and sulky today because I am I am talking to you guys from my my isolation here in in England. We have a, the NHS track and trace app whilst we're still going through this pandemic, and mine pinged the other day telling me that I've got to stay indoors for the next week. So I'm very sorry to my friend Kim. I should have been on her Hindu. Um, that it, didn't happen. It, it is better that it happened that we're recording this now rather than recording it in a week's time. Because if we were recording in a week's time, you were going to be the only people that she was going to speak to apart from me. That's for a true. Whole week. That's true. Yeah, and you just get a load of rubbish thrown at you. So much garble. <laughs> that week of pent up social tension. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but also did want to say hello because we've again been actually looking at our podcast starts and it's very exciting. Yeah. We're, we're in like four different continents now. Whoa. <laughs> Getting all over. Yeah. So shout out to a couple of people in Denver who I'm going to have to say thank you to my university friend Anthony from the podcast Cheap Pop Wrestling for that one because <laughs> he gave us a little bit of a shout out and they've got quite a following in Denver so I'm going to assume that was that was because of that if anyone is interested in wrestling by the way it's it's very fun it's a couple of lads from Manchester and then a couple of their friends who are from across the pond in the US um, and they chat about the state of WWE wrestling, they do occasionally talk about the NXT as well, which is generally a lot better. Um, don't know if they're going to start talking about the New Japan stuff. Dave's now looking at me blankly because I'm talking far too much about wrestling and he's got um, no idea. I have no idea about any sort of wrestling. But I, hey, you know, if it makes you happy, you, you go for it. If, if, you're into, if you're into wrestling and you like a load of lads just ripping into each other while they critique that, it's it's well worth a listen. Yeah, yeah, I can second that. Yeah. From the little, very little that I know about wrestling, I can second that. <laughs> so yeah, I'd I'd like to say hi to you know all of our all of our fans in the US and the couple in Denver, but um, we've also had some people in Russia, which is very exciting. In India. Yeah, and where specifically in India? Because you got very excited about that. Chennai, with the. Uh... Shilai Shiva Kings representing. I know about wrestling. Dave knows about cricket. Yeah, that's how we do it. <laughs> we have all all sides covered then, don't we? Yeah. Any conversation comes up, we've got it. Some One of us has got it, I think, hasn't it? Like, I can do the 13-year-old boy wrestling conversations. Cool. I can do the old man cricket conversations. Yeah. Together we do salsa and fencing. Yeah, so actually quite eclectic when you sit like that. Yeah. And and you of course love Liverpool football team. Club. 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 Ah, oh, it's Liverpool club. Sorry. Uh, 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 yeah, it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Oh man, football uh, fans get so precious. <laughs> so precious. Although to be fair, um, as we record this, England have just got through to the semi-finals of yeah. the Euros. Yeah. It's wonderful. Bloody That's wonderful. Great. I was watching it in work. And I was watching it in the bath at home because <laughs> I can't go out. <laughs> Don't. But it was still great. 4 0. Whoop, whoop. 
Cheers. <laughs> Just a little shout out to Rachel for suggesting Itania for this episode. So I hope that we do it justice. Thanks, Rach. So today, some of the topics which may be difficult for some people will include physical as well as emotional abuse and emotional neglect as well. So please get involved in the discussion if this is going to be interesting for you. If not, we will see you on the next episode. This autobiographical story centres on the infamous Tonya Harding and her life leading up to and including the kneecapping trial of her rival Nancy Kerrigan. The story starts off with her as a child, reintroduced to her mother, the terrifying Alison Janey, and her relationship with her loving father. We track through her rise up in the figure skating ranks, as well as the turbulence that comes with attempting to compete in a sport that doesn't really want you if you give off the wrong signals in 1990s America. Through an argument which becomes violent, thanks to her mother, she ends up leaving the house to live with her then-boyfriend, whom she later marries. This is not, however, a match made in heaven, as he also becomes increasingly abusive towards her. During her relationship with Jeff, we meet Sean, who is an espionage expert, who concocts his own plot to take out Nancy Kerrigan, Tonya's rival, in order to place Tonya above her in the run-up to the Olympics. The story goes that Tonya is involved with the conspiracy as much as to scare Kerrigan but not actually hurt her, which we are led to believe is all Sean's doing since Jeff doesn't understand what went wrong. Although qualified for the Olympics, she doesn't do amazingly well and returns home to enormous scrutiny. We then witness her trial and the outcome, although I'll get commentary throughout from Tonya, Jeff and her mum. Everyone has their own truth in this story. Okay, so it seemed to work quite well the last couple of episodes. I feel anyway. I feel uh, that when I start chatting, then you can join in, basically. So I'm going to talk at people, and then <laughs> you just interject whenever you feel. I, I, I would also agree. When I start, I tend to just continue to ramble until you tell me to stop, which you... Can act- take time. Yeah. You know, you're very supportive in that you let me continue to ramble, but... I'll start off by chatting about a couple of uh, general aspects on the um, the filming and the editing side of things, um, which I thought were, were super cool um, and needed mentioning. Just little things that you might not might not realise when you when you're watching the film that I really liked and enjoyed, hmm. um, like things that might pass you by, but overall do add to the aesthetic of the piece. Hmm. Mm, yeah, that's about, that is about as fancy as I'm going to get throughout the film. <laughs> you um, have quite a good vocabulary. I do, but. I, I, I do mumble. You need to enunciate, darling. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, lass. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, th- throughout the film, chatting about the a couple of the camera shots and the, the overall feel of the the way it's been shot, the it feels like the camera is is following and catching up to the action. Which, having watched uh, an interview with Margot Robbie, um, who was a producer on this, hmm. as well as the, the the protagonist, the lead actress. Really. I, I think there's quite a few producers, but. I think she was obviously one of the main ones. I think she does it really, really good justice film. Um, and, and her take on, on what happened, um, I, obviously I, I don't know exactly what happened. Nobody knows. No, Well, a couple of people know. but um, Well, that's one of the key points, isn't it? That you yeah. introduce at the start. Everyone yeah. has their own truth. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's shot from all those different positions mm. throughout but yeah it feels like the camera is always catching up with the action it's not neat tidy sort of control everyone everyone understands it it sort of mirrors the the feeling and the tone of the life that tonya is constantly running to catch up and to keep up with what's going on and it, like you said it's never more evident than right at the beginning where they get off to like top speed of bringing us up to date on Tony's history where it's like slide, bang, boom, boom, next shot, next shot, next shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems a bit hectic and crazy which is from what we're led to believe very much her experience of her life and growing up mm. which I, I really enjoy that the little little parts of like wanting the camera to, to always be catching up rather than re neat controlled like Right, we know she's going to come into shot here, she's going to walk three paces and then she's going to stop. When they were filming it, um, the cinematographer, because they had quite a low budget, then um, <laughs> he was saying apparently, 
Um, they just wanted to, yeah, we'll just get stuck in, you know, just just sort of see how it, see how it works out. Which, it, obviously, to a degree, you know, it's not mm-hmm. it's not a student film. You know, there's, there's always going to be. <laughs> yeah, people are paid quite a lot of money for this, even, the, even though it's independent. Yeah. I'm expecting professional work mm. uh, on this. And yeah, he's sort of like, well, yeah, we, we, we want it sort of like a bit messy and everything. So that's the way they shot it. And it was really nice that it's ended up as cohesive as it has um, in... And some really nice, really nice editing shots and tracking shots throughout the whole film. I mean, I feel like just doing this podcast, I have such an understanding now of how editing really makes something messy seem seamless. <laughs> you do a wonderful job of editing this. <laughs> I've got a lot of expletives from Kavan. <laughs> yeah, you have no idea, guys. <laughs> <laughs> She's a potty mouth. <laughs> So yeah, like I, I like it from from the very beginning the, when she's skating from the the start of sort of the first the first bit of the film that isn't a montage. It sort of cuts from the skating, the ice rink, all the bright lights, and, and the music going on in the background to like silence in the home. She's eating cereal with her mum. Like just mm. you got the quiet. You got the the lighting is dimmed. You've got the silence as well, and the only thing you can hear is her eating munch on cornflakes. So it's like the the sound design um, as well as lighting and camera also were excellent. I don't think anyone's completely buying that Margot Robbie is 15. No. But I do think she did a good job of it. She did, she did. I always find this really amusing when you have any show where like the the actors are clearly so much older than they're meant to be. I mean, we're quite obsessed with a Spanish show called Elite. (laughs) for example. Oh, why have you mentioned that? Because <laughs> it's always on my mind. I adore it. <laughs> but some of the characters in that, the fact that they're meant to be still in school, is just... Yeah, oh. it's a little... I mean, how much can you suspend your disbelief, really? <laughs> yeah. But but we do every every weekend. Every weekend, yeah. And every, every series, because every time we'll finish it thinking, that was stupid, let's not waste any more time on this, and then we come back. Every time. Every time. But moving back to Iconic. Sorry, <laughs> yes, yeah, um, yeah. Margot Robbie does yeah. not look 15. No, she doesn't, but I do think she did quite a good job, you know, even with the like her lip placement and things, with um, mm. like with uh, the playing that she has black braces, um, even with the lip placement on screen... It is, I mean, obviously, like, makeup and hair have a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. So, shout out. But it is Maya Robbie. We're all aware. Because we've all seen the trailer before we go see the film anyway. We, we know she's not. But, you know, this sort of thing happens all the time. Um, but she does play Gorky very well. She does. She does, yeah. Uh, I, 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 was, I was quite impressed. And even the, uh, the scene where she was, uh, she was going to kiss uh, Jeff. For the for the first time when he's fixing his car and she mm. takes over, mm. she does that sort of the nice gawky yeah like the gawky's the right term I think yeah yeah so I'm smiling like yeah just just thinking about it <laughs> because you're quite gawky too in all fairness I am yeah <laughs> but yeah it's sort of like hands hands in pockets not really sure what to do with yourself mm. you sort of shuffle your feet the the eye eye movement as well uh-huh. yeah it was all it was all really carefully planned and. Really nicely done. Mm. Really nicely acted, I thought. Have you ever had to act out like a, f- a first kiss? Because I always, I really enjoy seeing those shots because it, it sort of, oh, it, it really pulls at your stomach as well. It's sort of like, oh God, I remember how cringy and embarrassing this was or how you had those butterflies. And it's quite fun as an audience member. Have you ever had to do that? Not like a, a young, not playing a young person. Mm. I've had to, I've had to like do stage kisses, but it's not. Not the same, no. Mm. Don't have that like kind of like uncomfortable, like teenage dumb, like oh no, does she like me? Does she look? Does she not? You know, <laughs> sort of the weird. I honestly, I don't want to revisit it. That, was, <laughs> that, that that at fourteen was traumatic. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, that was uh, that was that was a lot. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think everyone's got their own story around their their first nervous kiss haven't they yeah yeah if they don't it's weird like yeah well you were obviously very confident i was not that guy (laughs) at all 
Um, but I think, yeah, as, t- as two grown-up people, they capture that really well. Exactly, yes. And I think also, like, you have to throw in the fact that she's a teenager, but also she's had to go through quite a lot. And I do think that um, Robbie manages to, to get in the emotional desensitization to, sort of, uh, to abuse by that age. Mm-hmm. I think she does get it in there on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, in her interactions with, just with everybody, when she's there with her, with her mum, uh, with her mum and her boyfriend, and her mum is questioning Jeff oh. quite quite fervently. Yeah. But I'd have crumbled, I'd have gone. It would have been horrendous. Uh, it was impressive. It's good work. Mm-hmm. Good, good work. Mm-hmm. I think as she goes through, though, she gets, like Margaret Robbie really gets the, the balance well between the, the pain and vulnerability of her character that, that she's going through. Yeah. I do think she, she gets that down really well. Um, I think nothing is not more evident than where she's been shot and where Jeff shoots the gun and hits the wing mirror, rebounds and catches her ear. Mm. I think in that scene, those looks when she's in the car at Jeff mm. and across the camera, I think they really capture both the, the pain and the vulnerability and the, then the strength that comes from that following mm. really well. But also there's a layer of learned helplessness in there as well, which you then see when the police stop them. And she it's almost like she's already accepted that they're not going to save her. No, because, and she says it as they drive off as well, like, don't talk to Jeff, never talk to Jeff. He's got way words or whatever mm. it was. You can talk his way out of anything. That's the one, yes. Mm. So it's that, yeah, you're right, that learned helplessness. Mm. Which would be like, right, well, I, I guess I'll just have to, Pop and shut up, yeah. which is awful. Again, it's this adding to this idea of, of this rough around the edges, scruffy fighter, resilient person, which we see um, in a performance. But so you've got Margot Robbie's performance, which is great. But then also the the Oscar winner, Alison Janney, who plays her mum, who was phenomenal. Like she she was the one out of the two of them that won the Oscar. Okay. Um, and Margot Robbie was up against um, Francis McDormand in Three Billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Ah. Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Mm. Um, which is a fantastic film. And Francis, McDo- Francis McDormand was brilliant in it. Um, so I do feel a bit feel a bit for Margot Robbie. It's like, well, it was a fantastic performance, but there was somebody, I'm not going to say better, but certainly... She had, the, she had high competition. Yeah, definitely that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a good year. Whereas... Alison Janey um, does an amazing job mm. and and won the Oscar that year. I think she won an Oscar, she won a BAFTA and she won a Golden Globe. Wow. For the for the performance. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's not, not bad going. Yeah. That's a pretty reasonable year, I'd have thought, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'd say that. <laughs> I mean, like, she's utterly unrecognisable as as Alison Janey. But as mm. as the the um, Tony's mum... You see her next to a picture of her, mm. and obviously your hair and makeup do, do a lot. But also, like the transformation is, is really good if you see an interview with her mum. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you're going to be talking about this because it's definitely your, not it's your area, not mine. But the casting for this film was amazing. Yeah. When they had all those little snippets of interview at the end. Yeah. The way that each of those actors kind of captured the essence of those people, it was spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so even Sebastian Stan as well, uh, you said captured the essence of it, essence of his character, where in the uh, in the audition, oh, this takes balls. So in the audition, <laughs> it was Margot Robbie, the director, and Sebastian Stan in the room. Obviously, this is after a couple of rounds of auditions, I'd have thought. It's not just the first one. She said in an interview that, Stan was screaming at like, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to fucking kill you, you bitch, you bitch. There was a pause, apparently, and then just kissed her. <gasps> and it wasn't, wasn't scripted. Oh, wow. And, and he got the job. So if kissing Margot Robbie gets you the job. <laughs> That's a good day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was much more than that. And yes, he does a fantastic job. But it's a hell of a way... Wow. Her way, and apparently, like he left the room, and she's like, "Oh my god, that's him, that's him." Yeah, and yeah. With her and the director were like, "Yeah, that that we need, we found that guy." Yeah, but that it takes balls. But that is their relationship, isn't it? So much so, it's their character. Yeah. Wow. So much so. Yeah. How how does that kind of change the dynamic of all of that with Margot Robbie being the main character, but then also the producer? 
Does that become a difficult power dynamic? It, it can do, but I think a lot of it is dependent on the person themselves, on the actor, the professional. If they can take a step away and be like, right, no, this is, this is me when I'm the actor and this is me when I'm the producer. And they are two very different, very different um, skills. And kudos to people that can do both. Obviously, a lot of the time it is major actors, protagonists, which do then also become producers mm. as well. So I'd, I'd just like to point out before Dave carries on, we had to pause then because he got an email from his agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> just interrupting one creative project because of another, no problems. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's not always nice. Like that. <laughs> I haven't spoken about Asian in a while. That was, that was, that was nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it, it can uh, can impact upon the the way that people, people go about the business. But uh, I think when it's an independent uh, film, then there's a lot of pressure on the actor, the producer, because they know when they're filming, like they can't go back and do like 20 shots. Because they know how much it's costing everything. Mm. So mm. like, right, okay, right. Well, if yeah, but if we don't get this shot done today, then we're going to have to push it over to tomorrow. Right, that's another 30 grand. Uh, right, okay, well, if that happens, and then... So I can imagine it would be very difficult. Yeah. But apparently she did a very good job of stepping out and step, stepping in and stepping out of the role. Margot Robbie spent five months to perfect her ice skating prior to shooting. Was it she used to do ice hockey? Yes, yeah, I think for a little while. Yeah, but so she's figure. quite slight, isn't she? So yeah, figure skating very different. Yeah, yeah. And then physically, I guess actually, yeah, yeah, because Tonya Harding, she's not built like a a normal sort of thin, slender no, figure no. skater, is she? Like Margot Robbie is like actually looks more like the figure skater hmm. um, than than Tonya Harding. Hmm. Um, but yeah, she, you see in the, the videos of her, she is she is stockier slightly only slight but yeah by normal standards she still looks great yeah yeah and she's she's an athlete so of course but she's strong isn't she yeah yeah absolutely absolutely but you need those those muscles in order to do the the three and a half turns that she had to do triple axle the triple axle yeah Mm. another another little tidbit on this is that when they were filming there was only two people that they could get in to be uh, a stunt double Oh wow! To shoot the film, and neither would do it <gasps> because then they're in the run up to the Olympics and they didn't want to injure themselves. Whoa. So they had to shoot it with no stunt double. Like obviously it wasn't it wasn't uh, Maya Robbie actually doing the turns. They had to like superimpose that and things. Oh, I was going to say yeah. what? Right? Okay. Wow. Yeah. So that that is genuinely how hard it is. It's only like I think there's eight people in the world that can do it. Like in the world. Wow. When you think about how many billionaires there are. That's that's so selective. Yeah. That's incredible. So, major kudos to the original Tony Harling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think how um, how sport advances. Like, one, once someone has sort of broken a record or been the first one to do a certain action, a lot of the time it almost like it springboards, okay, other people's... Suddenly it's almost like the mentality's been broken. We now know that the human body can do this mm-hmm. and suddenly you get more and more people who can do it. Yeah. So that's that's amazing. Uh, but I I think there still isn't a lot of people. Like it's been mm. thirty years since, and there's well, obviously eight people that can do it, and I don't know plus the number that have done it since. Mm. But still, that's got to be. I'm. It's got to be less than a hundred. You'd have thought. Way less, I would have thought. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's not yeah. bad. Mm. Uh, just to, just to finish off. Chat about the acting a little bit uh, before we move on to lighting and 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 uh, sound and things. Um, just a quick mention to the guy that plays Sean, who plays a wonderful bumbling idiot, mm. um, com- comedy psychic moreover, um, which turns into mischievous megalomaniac who has illusions of grandeur. Um, yeah. I think it's it's a really nice continuation and. Uh, journey that he goes on throughout mm. and apparently the, uh, the director didn't know how he was going to write it the the film before talking to everybody and then after he spoke to them he sort of sat down and was like right well there's a soup some very much 
some very different views on what happened. And that is exactly what happens at the start, as they say, everyone has a different view on this, mm. don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yes, so Sean, really good job. And you see, again, the um, the video of, of who he's playing mm. at, the, at the end. It's scary in several different ways. In one way, because he's completely delusional. On the second one, how well he performs it. Yeah, because it feels like that should be a parody of a real person. Mm. And when you saw him being interviewed, like, oh, oh, wow, that's... You're real. Yeah, spot on. What? Yeah, it's cool. Just to finish off my my section, my section, uh, <laughs> the, the lighting emphasises so much in this film. Like, you look at how it's shot right at the beginning and then how it's shot um, at the wedding, for example. You see Tonya's character coming from from the wedding from everyone having fun inside, she's in the white dress, and then it cuts to over her shoulder, and you see uh, her mum in near darkness, just dipping a tea bag, like not really engaging with what's going on. It's a lovely juxtaposition, and the lighting really emphasises that, that darkness and, and light, showing her joy against her mother's anger and despair and sadness. Is, uh, and the idea is, is repeated when they... When they divorce, when Tony divorces from Jeff, and you see the, the, the track out from inside the house, and it moves backwards out of the house and then down the road, doesn't it? Yeah. Just as she says, right, and we decided to divorce. Mm. And you go from the darkness in the house, mm. and there's darkness in, in, the hou- in most of the houses yeah. in this film, and then tracks to outside, and it's got lights, the lightness there. So you can see that it's the, almost like a metaphor. Well, that's it. it is a metaphor for for how it feels or how the director is trying to p- portray it feels inside the house of this claustrophobic, this darkness, this mm. um, like overarching feeling, mm. which is hard to get onto film. It's hard to get a feeling into visual, yeah, into a visual medium. Um, yeah. yeah, I suppose yeah. that's why like music is normally so important in those moments, isn't it? Because that's kind of how you get that extra emotional content. Mm. But um, no, the, the lighting is also so powerful for that, I w- which I would not have appreciated until, until you started pointing mm. out. Check it out. Mm. What, one thing is, and I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll enjoy this, um, what, why in the film, when they got married, did she say that she could give up work in a job and then just focus on skating? Oh, yeah. Um, no idea. That threw me as well. What was that about? I don't know. I, I can honestly, I can only assume that that's because they were still of a mentality of married women don't work. But then you would think that that's sort of the assumption that I, I don't work because I'm now a homemaker, which is not what she did. No, it's not. That wouldn't suit her. No, no, not at all. That was fascinating. I don't know if it's that she now got his benefits of things like healthcare. So there was less incentive for her to work because she wouldn't. There were certain outlays that she wouldn't have had to pay for. Perhaps. But I, yeah, I they know. skirt over that, don't they? Yeah, it's, it's just a quickly. throwaway comment. Yeah. But oh, like just just something to something to, something to think about, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Going to chat about the the makeup and the lighting in the mirror scene where she's Whoa. looking in the mirror and just just she's about to escape, going through all those complex emotions mm. but I actually think it, it loops back to the Shutter Island episode when we were saying about um, when a character's looking in the mirror you've got the duality mm-hmm. and I think that's really played on well in this like, hugely hugely emotional scene where she tries to conceal herself under the under the bright lights is being shown up quite quite readily yeah under that but I think the acting in that scene is Really, really good. Like it shows the deterioration of her, the mental side of things while she's dressing herself up. Mm. So I think that would have been a really difficult scene to to shoot. Really difficult scene to prepare. Mm-hmm. Full show. Mm-hmm. Full show. <laughs> um, and when Nancy Kerrigan gets gets whacked as well, so it follows the guy that whacks her through it's a, like through a tunnel through a, through a curtain, but the curtain like deadens the light for a moment and it shows him then coming out of the darkness. Into the light mm. to then whacker, which I thought was thought was cool. The way that they they shoot that the darkness to light again. It's the darkness to light comes up several t- several different times in this 
It's in, it interesting, isn't it, how... Because we were following the assailant's journey and his day as opposed to hers. Yeah. As a it's, bit of it's quite an uncomfortable position to be in as a, as a viewer. Knowing that he's about to do something you don't want him to do. Yeah. Or shouldn't do, certainly. Mm. You might want him to do it because you might be on Tanya's side. Uh, Kevin's just raised her eyebrows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hmm, going to take a note of that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as, as hopefully a moral person watching that, knowing that we're kind of getting the viewpoint of the assailant that we're kind of almost a voyeur to this we can't do anything about it yeah you just kind of it's like a car crash yeah and then and then you just no yeah yeah you're right yeah you can't look away you can't but at the same time you're then sort of left still following him down the corridor but in the back all you can hear then is these screams of a young woman who who is terrified. She doesn't know what's happened to her leg. For all she knows is that her leg is broken and she's never going to be able to skate again, which is her whole life. Mm. And you just hear that in the background. It's awful. Yeah. yeah. It's really good filmmaking. Mm. It may be an awful thing, but it's, apart from that, it's, it's really good filmmaking. It did almost feel like a bit of a comedy of errors by that point. Oh, uh, yeah. Like he said, in a... Story populated by idiots. Yeah. Just <laughs> sound outrageous. <clears throat> it's great. And uh, for, from my point of view, like, one one last acting thing. When Tonya says that she and uh, Nancy Kerrigan were friends, and who would do that to a friend? It's an absolute gift to an actor, that writing. Because that, that little pause between who would do that to a friend? It's so many connotations, and it's played well because, you know, you, you you're watching and you don't know, which is exactly how it's meant to be. I suppose. Completely because she agree. she's not playing Tonya Harding; she's playing a character mm. who happens to be mm. Tonya Harding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think this is a an important distinction to make when you're watching biographies. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I also really loved that moment. Yeah, so many ways that that could have been interpreted. And yeah. she, it was almost yeah, like right. the way it was delivered, deliberately keeping that open. It's this idea of, I'm not lying, but you will take from the way I say this what you want to. Yeah. But I can also justify whatever the truth is. I can justify that to myself. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think she does the real Tony Harding quite a lot of justice in that. Because... She maintains her innocence. Nobody will ever know. Mm. Nobody will ever know unless Mm-mm. she decides to say. Mm-mm. And you know, also based on our justice system, uh, a decision was made. Whatever your opinions of it, the the way it stands, yeah, mm. a decision was made that is final. Punishment or rehabilitation is dealt out accordingly, mm. yeah. and actually, that should be the end of it. Sure. So. You know, this is her telling her story, but she doesn't have to justify it anymore. No, no, no. What was it um, particularly about... You know, you, you talked about um, how how much she captured the um, the duality and the emotion in the scene where she was kind of doing herself up in the mirror. Was there anything about that in particular that really struck you? The pacing. The pacing was great. And it's always more interesting to watch somebody not cry on film. So it's better to try and hold that back. And you can see the struggle that people go through to not cry. It's more interesting than seeing them cry. On on screen, like, in real life, it's like... yeah, You, you, you don't want to see somebody cry anyway, but we've been through, like we said before, um, it's it, it can be good, it can be healing. Mm. In theatre, it's, it's more interesting to see somebody cry, whereas on film, it's more interesting to see somebody not cry. Is that because of how close in you are on their face? Yeah, and also I think that you can get a, a, a feeling uh, when you're in a when you're in a theatre, you you pick up on people's energies mm. more so than when you're when you're watching a film. Mm. Uh, but that is part of the skill of a theatre actor is that they can project that energy and that emotion to the back of the auditorium, mm. whereas with a, a film a film actor, it's it's just the camera. Camera will catch everything. It will catch you if you fall, but it will. Also, if you mess up, it, it knows. But that's the beauty of it, that you can retake it if needed. Very true. 
But when you're the producer and you know how expensive every shot is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd be rather annoyed. Yeah, yeah. No, she she did separate that out very well. I think so, yeah. Mm. yeah. Throughout the film, she always says, like, it's not my fault. There's always instances where it's not a fault. Is it? Or is that just a a nice way of of getting out of responsibility? What, what makes her say that? I, yeah, this is a big part of where I want to go, actually. So great fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a great transition from one to the other. Um, I, I think it's... I, I do find her a really fascinating kind of multifaceted character. You know, on the one hand, she is someone who has suffered a lot of abuse from various significant caregiver figures in her life. And then also she is one hell of a fighter. And she's got a really interesting mix of internal versus external locus of control, I think. So that's basically how much ownership we have over what happens to us. So the idea of if you have a strong internal locus of control, you believe that you are the captain guiding your ship. And you can decide, whereas when you have an external locus of control, it might be, if we keep with the same metaphor, that you are more at the power of the winds and the sea. Right. And Tonya Harding's character, and I'm also going to be very specific, that I am analysing this as a character in a film. Yes, she's based on a real person, but I do not know her personally. No. I am analysing the film character that I've seen on screen, played by Margot Robbie. Right. She's such an interesting juxtaposition of when it's something good that she's achieved, she can feel proud of it. Like being able to be the first American woman to have landed the triple axel. You see there's a moment where she's being interviewed in her house and she cries and she she thanks the interviewer and saying like, you know, no one ever asks me about this anymore. And she does cry at that point because it's... Mm such a huge part of her life and yeah. and when she can feel proud of her achievements and she takes ownership of that and she did she worked incredibly hard for it but it's interesting that yeah she does also then have quite an external locus of control normally for when things aren't going her way this idea of you know near the end uh it was my my boots were not tied properly um and there are, you know, quite, yeah, quite a few times when she says it wasn't my fault. Um, and um, I think there's a couple of arguments with her mum when either training hasn't gone very well or when the judges haven't scored her. Mm. It's it's their fault. It's their fault. They won't give her the recognition she deserves. And it's because they are stuck in their ways. She's also stuck in her ways. In some way, I, I think very rightly, she, she protested very openly that their rules were wrong that it wasn't just about the skating that it was also about whether you fit the face that they wanted yeah and she wasn't gonna play by those rules quite rightly i think i mean at the minute you were telling me this morning that the olympic committee have just banned a swimming cap that would mean that afro uh, yeah, yeah so that afro-caribbean hair would be sort of better streamlined so that they can compete on a level playing field with other swimmers and they've banned it. What? Is that really just... So I think it's great that she, you know, shone a light on that, but also then doesn't take ownership of the fact that like, yeah, that's going to have consequences. You don't play by their rules. No, they're not going to give you the points. That if you had a stronger internal locus of control, I wonder if that would have then been interpreted as okay, I'm not, I'm not winning, but I'm making the conscious decision to, to be who I am on the ice. Mm. And I'm not going to change that. But she still then projects that outwards. It's like, I should be able to kind of have everything I want. I should be able to be the regneck hick that I am and be given all the points by the judges who do not see the world through my lens. And that's, unfortunately, that's not the case. It's not. It's a semi-biographical film, mm. not a fictional. Mm. It's not Disney. She should be 
should be winning everything. You should be going to the Olympics. Should be getting gold. Should be, I don't know, meeting the president and things like that. But yeah. it's not yeah. that. No, and she did win the hearts and minds of many Americans mm. because of who she was. Um, and she did, and they even showed that in the film. Even with the controversy, she still had her fans supporting her. Mm. And I, I'm sure that she had many fans, but yeah, it's just, that's not what the film is focused on. No, which is why you wouldn't see that it, see it as that bigger thing. Mm. But she, but she is this very contrasting sided character. This idea that yeah, there are certain things which are about about her that make her a hero, and there's also certain parts of her that make her a villain or a victim or uh, whatever else you want to kind of paint her as. And I wonder if she doesn't really know how she sees herself in her story as well. Mm. Probably because of this incredibly mixed up background that she had. I think it's actually a very accurate portrayal of what it's like to grow up in an abusive household. You know, she did have... She had one parent, her father, who it seems was a very loving, supportive man... But then, like, the last the last time she mentioned him, she was like, mm. yeah, he lost a job. And then he's not the wedding or anything. You, no. He just drops off. She never sees him again. No. Not in the film version, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, she had the, she had a really good connection with her dad, but then he when he left mum, he also left Tonya completely. Mm. So... That was burn. Yeah. Yeah, so been re- completely rejected by one parent. And then you've got the other, who is always there always very vigilant over her and is the one that gives her access to the only joy in her life which is skating but also incredibly abusive emotionally as well as physically and is neglectful of her emotional needs she's never open to her she only ever sees her as kind of what she is able to get out of tonya um, and it's always about her achievement and focusing on that and everything else. They don't ever hug. There's that one time, isn't there, later on in the film when Margaret, well, Tonya, sorry, goes to hug her mum because she thinks her mum is actually on her side and her mum still can't hug her, kind of allows herself to be hugged. And like, oh, and then it turns out that she was still not actually there for Tonya. She was trying, trying to... to save her own skin. Yeah, trying to record her incriminating herself so that, I don't know, so that she could sell it to the papers. I'm not sure. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, that is just complete betrayal. Yeah. But then you have got this huge contrast again of sort of like, I have my caregiver who stayed, has kind of listened to my needs, because even at three, four, you know, I've talked about skating. My mum is taking me skating and she's mm. going to fight until I'm allowed mm. to stay on the ice. She must care right but then she's incredibly cruel she won't let her get off the ice to go to the loo people are complicated Uh, people are complicated and i I think this is why i I do like this as a story of of domestic abuse and kind of what that does to people because it does embrace all those complexities Mm. um could you ever or have you ever treated somebody obviously you can't like can't say exactly who or what or how it affected them, but that that you haven't been able to al- almost predict their responses to certain things. You like you thought you knew and understood them, but then they did something completely out of the blue mm-hmm. and random. And like, where is the justification for this come from? Yes, yeah, it's interesting. I guess a lot of my work because it's been in the NHS. And I only qualified a couple of years ago. Uh, Basically, while you're on training, you're only ever one place for about six months. And then working in the NHS, in the services that I've worked in, I've not unfortunately been in a position to offer like long-term support with anyone in particular. Normally, the longest I get to work with people is about six months. So I suppose I don't ever get to have that really prolonged enriched informed relationship with people but yeah definitely people will throw you curveballs all the time and sometimes that's really helpful sometimes it results in what we would call a therapeutic rupture where i'm on one page they're on another um, and sometimes that can cause quite a lot of conflict Mm. Um, but also the best kind of 
therapy can come out of when you heal a rupture. Um, in the same way as when you have an argument with a partner, you know, if you can resolve that and then you both come together with a better understanding, then mm. awesome. But yeah, people are complicated and they do sometimes do things that are like, oh, that doesn't go into the picture I had of you. But then is that like mm. a trap door and it opens up a whole whole world that you didn't understand about the person? Yeah. And therefore, you can understand so much more about them because of that one thing that, well, why did they do that? That was weird. But then you talk to me like, oh, right, okay. Well, that reason, that reason, that reason. Oh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's why we both love the jobs that we do though, isn't it? It's like people are a really complex puzzle and sometimes you haven't got all the pieces. Um, Which mine you can just invent them. I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> to a degree. Yeah. I suppose actually my job, at least I'm allowed to embrace the fact that sometimes people don't can make complete sense. Whereas you've got to make up the character so that it does all seem like yeah, a coherent yeah. story. <laughs> One thing that I wanted to kind of bring in is thinking about this idea of... It sort of ties in with this idea of internal versus external locus of control and the fact that, as you pointed out, a lot of the time she does kind of say, that wasn't my fault. There's a theory used in an approach... Well, mostly in an approach called ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm -hmm. But it's also used in other forms. It's it's called relational frame theory. And it's one of my favourite psychological theories I use it a lot I think it makes sense within my own life as well Um, but it's mostly developed by a guy called Stephen Hayes and it basically talks about how language and the way that we describe the world the way that we describe our position in the world and how it relates to other things in that world and that environment shapes our reality And I think it's really interesting to listen to the dialogue in this film, thinking about it in terms of relational frame theory, is this idea that, and as they kind of bring back to all the time, everyone's got their own version of the truth. And I think that's so true. Mm. We all come up with our own version of events and how one thing links to another, which causes another, which causes another and we've we all make our own sense of that um and i think it's really interesting to kind of put that in context and think about yeah the different kinds of stories that are coming up from these different kinds of characters for example yeah they they've all kind of got their own way that they're relating to these events so differently so you've got tonya who can kind of take recognition for some of the hard work that she's put in and how yeah she was abused for years by all the people in her life that said that they loved her she never had that kind of stable base to work from she had to make that for herself mm. so yeah she's and complex ripped up underneath her yeah yeah she is both a victim and a hero and a and fighter a and a perpetrator she is all because she's a whole rounded person yeah And I love that she can kind of... She can sort of embrace that. I'm not sure she completely embraces it, but fair enough. No one really wants to know the darker sides of ourself. I get that. But you have also then got how her ex-husband, the way that he relates to these different situations and his place in it. You've got Tanya's mum, again, who... It's really interesting. I don't think she ever takes any responsibility either. So where would Tanya have learnt to do that from? everyone has completely shaped their own position in this so that they, they come out, come out okay. Well, yeah. better. Uh-huh. Her mum, her mum doesn't say she comes out smelling like roses. She she comes out better. Jeff comes out pretty well off, pretty well out in his version. Her mum's version, she's still going through things and still comes to terms with things, which I quite like. Mm. Yeah, Jeff is... He's going, well, it's, you know, it's the story, it's fine. Like, it's not my fault. No, he actually calls himself, he's like, I'm actually a really good guy, but I'm only known for this one thing. It's a pretty bad thing. Yeah. And also, I don't think that's the only bad thing you've ever done. No. <laughs> if if half, this, half the film is true, then, yeah, you're a pretty interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And then you've got Sean, who, again, we think about the kind of, world and story that he's created wow yeah but in 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 that story his his parents they they go along with it like his mum's taping taping the news 
Yeah. You know, where's this stop? But why? Why are you allowing? Why are you encouraging this? And we never go into any of that. No, but that's a different film, I'm sure. Oh wow, I, I'm I'm sure it would be a really interesting spin-off. film. Yeah, yeah, an interesting and terrifying spin-off in itself, wouldn't yeah. it? But yes, it, it's something that um, I think I think is really useful for us all to start picking up on. I think is just noticing how do you talk about yourself? How do you talk to yourself? How do you kind of frame your position in the world around you? And actually, how could that be different if you use different words or if we change this narrative from, say, a hero's journey to a rom-com or a, a tragedy mm. or... Um, and how you yeah. view it mm. yourself. Mm. And are you the main character? Are you a bit player? Yeah. I mean, surely you should always be the main character in your story. Yeah. That's what you should aim for, right? Yeah, you'd hope so. But then it's cool, I think, that um, there are certain writers now who are writing stories about what would have been bit part characters before mm. which i think is great you know a big film which is a good example free guy is it free guy it's a new ryan Wen- ryan reynolds film it's sort of set in a computer game and he's i think it's meant to be like a grand theft auto style game and he works in the bank so normally he's just um a bank teller who gets held up and then characters steal all the money but it they've written the film so that he's the main character and what is his life like right yep ryan reynolds okay the uh new owner of Wrexham football club the new owner of Wrexham football club (laughs) amazing amazing okay cool hmm so I think also there's, you know, there's maybe a bit of a shift in terms of what we think of as interesting stories and what stories have value, which I think is great. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, oh, and one of the other main things about relational frame theory is how rigid or not we are in the, fa- in the way that we stick to the way that we see ourselves in the environment. Is it that we can have a fluid kind of relational style in that like, okay, this is how I am in this environment, but I can also be very different in a different environment. Or, okay, um, naturally I might call myself stupid, but I can catch that and I can kind of reframe it. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I'm not stupid, I did a stupid thing. Yeah. That's different. Or do we hold very rigidly to those stories of like, no, this this is the thought that has occurred in my brain, I this am. is the way I am. Yeah. Which is what we're saying about like in different languages as well. It's I am or I have mm. in Spanish. So like yeah, your yeah. age, if you, you have a certain number of years or if you are a certain number of years old. Yeah, yeah. I love that in Spanish. It's sort mm. of, yeah, I have this many years, which sounds so much more like I have this many years experience and but, wisdom. Yeah. And of course, that's just with Spanish. Like there's hundreds of languages out there, which mm. may all, all frame it differently. Yeah. Know. And actually, uh, there's probably research on this. I don't know, because I've only just thought of the reflection. But if anyone does know about this, please send us an email. Um, yeah. Well, WhatsApp. Or, <laughs> or an Instagram, not your WhatsApp. <laughs> um, but I wonder if speaking more than one language or speaking multiple languages from different origins would allow you to have more of that flexibility in the way that you relate. I, I studied at Bangor University in North Wales. Um, a lot of people there speak Welsh. Um, so it was a great neuropsychology department for them to actually analyse how does the workings of a multilingual brain work differently to mm. a monolingual brain. It'd be fascinating to get your head in a MRI machine. Mine's, given... mine's been in an MRI. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, But to see how it was, say, before you learned a second language and then afterwards... Mm. What it was like when you were living in Spain versus now. So you're practicing both very regularly, a little bit less. Now you've been stuck in a house with me for a year and a half. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it would be cool. Hmm. Uh, I think it was an interesting film for me to kind of think about, yeah, the the complexity that that people have. And I think it's a really lovely, honest show of that. The fact that, yeah, Tonya is so many different things to possibly many different people and that we don't completely know the truth of that by the end 
Yeah, I like films that sort of give you the give you the evidence, and they go, well, make your own mind up. Yeah, it's quite nice. Yeah, do with that what you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know how Tonya Harding took the film. I, I think actually quite well from what I've seen. You know, she says, "Suck my," mm. you know. Uh, she, apparently, she said to Margot Robbie that she wished she'd said that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, th- I think she took it quite well. Mm. I think she thought it was ninety-nine percent. Mm. Wasn't one hundred percent, of course, because mm. there's it's a film. Yeah, th- very truthful. Yeah, and um, I think I hope quite sympathetically done to to a really complex character who's had such a difficult upbringing and is trying to make it in a world that cannot refuses to understand the difficulty and darkness of some people's lives because figure skating apparently is about selling an image it's not about just the sport isn't that the case for so many athletics sports it's not just about sport it's about sports about industries it's about so many different it doesn't matter what what you do in your own your, your time off just as long as you don't bring any bad press mm. and as long as you get away with it there's no problem politics right? being another big one and I, I, she's in some ways a hero for standing up to that yeah absolutely but she could have taken more ownership of the fact that that was what she was doing and that was her decision yeah she shouldn't necessarily have to have had to make that decision. There should have been more space for her. And she had to make that space, as she's had to do in many of her personal relationships. But it's interesting that... I wonder if there's a part of her who... Still trying to make her mother proud of her, you know, for being that fighter. Because her mum was always such a a bruiser. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the way that she saw her mum getting what she wanted. Yeah, it's the example put in front of her. Mm. Mm. You're always going to follow the example put in front. Yeah, but then defending against the negative consequences of that by arguing it wasn't my fault. Because when things didn't go right, her mum would beat her. Or at least emotionally beat her. Yeah, and then when her mum didn't, it was her Husband. boyfriend. Or husband, or mm. yeah. But so often, when that's been the attachment style we've grown up with, that's the 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 devil we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like she says in it as well. It's like, well, I didn't know any different. Yeah. I I do feel for her in those moments. Mm. So what would you what would you change about it then? I don't know. You might need to come back to me. What would you change? I think it's. It is difficult because it is based on a true story. You can't deviate mm. too much from it. Mm. I'd have liked to have seen a bit more of Sean's home life. <laughs> Sean and his parents. All right, it, it's not necessarily to do with the, the through line of the plot, but it would just be really interesting to go into that for a little bit. Just to like find out what, what made you like this. Yeah. What, why, why are you so obsessed with this power and these other these other levels of spider and yeah things. yeah yeah what has driven you to need to compulsively lie, lie? yeah compulsively lie or be that delusional maybe about your position maybe it's a coping strategy for something but yeah, yeah where's that come from yeah. yeah i feel like i could do a whole other episode on his character <laughs> definitely so is that somebody you want to have a look at a bit more, or would you prefer to know a bit more about like why why Jeff is the way he is? Because you never see any of his home life; you just see him fixing a car, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I guess it's it's the story of Tonya, and mm. everyone else is just a bit player. But but again, I quite like that. I don't want to change that because this is her story, and actually. She is very egocentric. Her world revolves around yeah. herself and her achievements and the ice. Mm. That's all she actually cares about. She wants to be loved. And she makes that really clear in the film as well. She wants to be loved. So she wants these other people in her life. But it's to validate her. I don't think she's ever had 
an example of that kind of reciprocal love. So I'm not sure she knows how to give that. Hmm. So I don't think, yeah, we don't really learn anything about the backstory of any of the other characters, but I think that's probably for a really good reason. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll just, I'll second that. Mm. I, just, I just want to see inside and be like, what, 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 what made you you? Totally. Yeah. Totally. I would like to know how Tonya feels about her father as an adult. Ooh, Nice. Wouldn't need to be much, but I would like to know. Yeah, just just a comment. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. I can go for that. Because he never comes back into it at all. And that's fine. Lots of people, Mm. that is their experience, unfortunately. Yeah. But I would at least like to know how she feels about that and how that's impacted her going forwards. Fair. Yeah. Fair. I like it. That'd be that would be it. Just one throwaway comment, even. That would be a lot easier to to do than mine. Mine would require a whole spin-off. <laughs> uh, yours is just like an extra line. Uh, spin-off film or a TV series? Oh, a TV series. <laughs> You've like loads of action men, and yeah, it'd be great. I think it would it would be like Fargo. It would be like a Fargo series. Oh yeah, like an idiot killing people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. Mm. All right. That's the suggestion for Netflix. There you go, it's your new show. Get on it, Netflix. Go on. <laughs> or Amazon Prime or, or anybody with money, really. Just Anyone. Do you want to give Dave a part in it? That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I could play the, the idiot, but... I, well, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Not that one. You're too skinny. <laughs> cool, guys. Well, thanks so much for sticking with us. And uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks. We will see you in a couple of weeks for episode eight, which will be the last one in the current series. Very exciting. We're going to do a series of eight episodes and then we can go away and think of something more interesting for you guys and give us a bit more time. (laughs) Please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, thanks for listening. See you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Bye. Bye.